Men, thanks for listening to our 920 Man Challenge podcast. These are Bible teachings that are meant to be discussed alongside other men in community at our Blankenbaker Man Challenge gathering, where we prioritize developing a competent and confident understanding of who Jesus is and authentic and intentional male relationships. We hope this teaching of God's Word grows your relationship with the Lord, and we urge you to unpack it in your relationship with others. Enjoy! Well, hey, good morning, fellas. You guys, you guys smell pretty good this morning. I don't think you're supposed to say that to other dudes, but thanks for showering for us this morning, brushing your teeth. Hey, we know why you guys are all here at Man Challenge. Let's just get right to it. You're here to hear the results of the March Madness Men's Ministry Challenge. How many of you think you're uh, walking away with first prize? Not a lot of hands going up. Well, if your name is, starts with Carson and ends with Fields from table 20, where you at, Carson? Carson just had a baby. Well, actually, his wife had a baby. Uh, just He's not here, man. Okay, well, table 20, you guys got a $100 gift card to go to Buffalo Wild Wings or wherever you want. Brian, can you grab this for him? If you guys pass this along to him... Um, it's your choice. So he had, the, catch this, guys, in a, in a world where peacocks are making it to the final, all this stuff, he had 99.6% accuracy. That's, um, that's pretty impressive. Um, I'm, I'm boggled that he did not cheat. Um, and then second place with a $50 uh, Visa gift card, Coming in with 98.8% accuracy from table 21, we've got David Barrios. I don't think David is here, but uh, hey, it looks like you just won a $50 gift card from table 21. So uh, I'm impressed with that. How many of you guys um, had any right picks in the final game? Yes, some of you? Okay, good job. We had a staff bracket here at Southeast, and both teams I picked to to be in the final game got knocked out early. UK was one of them. And at one point, I was still, like, in fifth place. I'm like, man, our bracket is lousy um, to be that good. But anyway, and then last place, we said we had a special prize for last place, Um, a signed picture of me holding a hundred dollar bill that's very special coming in coming in hot with zero percent accuracy fellas this deserves a standing ovation his name he's also a table leader which is an extra standing ovation his name is parker warnall and uh yeah There's a, there's a teachable moment in here, too. Parker, seriously, very proud of you, man. Um, Parker did not finish his bracket. So, you know, I, I guess my man challenge to you would be like, dude, if you are so busy that you can't hit submit uh, with him finished, you might need to loosen up your calendar a tad. Uh, but we're really proud of you. You might want to be getting some picks early for next year from Parker. That's impressive. But hey, switching gears onto something very much more important. Um, 
Easter serving this past weekend, uh, Southeast Kids was talking with Catherine Faraday, and she was wanted to send a thank you um, to all you men who stepped up, period, um, back in children's ministry, specifically on Sunday at 9, 11, 15, which, which is always a hard thing to plan for because we know that's when we're going to get the most slammed from people who typically don't come to church. And um, she said, we did not have to turn away one kid um, this year, largely because of guys stepping up. So I want to say thank you for guys stepping up to that. That's a big deal. Um, and so we, we say thanks for that. Um, we had, um, if you were at a service, we had Easter, we had baptisms at every campus. And as a church, there were 423 people who said yes to getting baptized during an Easter service. And that, that's crazy. Here at Blankenbaker campus alone, we had 242 baptisms. Any of you in the room uh, get baptized? Raise your hand. Uh, anybody baptize a dude or a dudette or anybody? Okay. Um, well, here at this campus, we had 86 men that were baptized um, at Blankenbaker, which means we have 86 dudes who need to be discipled. Um, so if you saw a guy from a distance and you're like, hey, man, I know that guy, uh, I'm going to ask you to follow up with him and make sure that he's connected with a group of dudes uh, and is being discipled. Uh, otherwise, we just, we just birthed a bunch of orphans um, last weekend, and so um, that's not God honest. So let's, let's do that. You know, back in January, I got to share about um, my new friend Douglas. I don't know if some of you remember me telling about him. And um, I got the privilege of baptizing him Saturday at the four o'clock service. And I tell you what, man, I, it was it was awesome. Um, he was he was all nervous, and his twin daughters made it up from Northern Kentucky. And afterwards, we did what you're supposed to do um, after you get baptized. We had him over for pizza, and we played kickball. So you know that's that's how we roll in the quarter household. So it's pretty awesome, but. Um, very cool. So 2 Timothy 2.2 talks, uh, talks about this. It says, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your faith. Um, and, you know, 86 guys said, said yes to their next step of faith and being baptized this past weekend. We've got a next step of faith for all of us in here. Uh, it's part of our summer series starting Thursday, May 19th in this room. Uh, that's a Thursday, 6.30 to 7.45 in four consecutive weeks. We are doing what's called a spiritual gifts equipping. Four straight weeks of that. We're going to ask you to sign up for that. Um, we're sending out emails for sign up just so we know how to, how to set the room up. But regardless of if you're a table leader or a participant or if you're like, what is spiritual gifts? Um, or I know what mine is. We're going to ask you to prioritize being part of this. Um, it's going to be an incredible way to equip you um, to know exactly um, how God's wired you as it relates to serving, serving, serving Him most effectively. And so really excited about how God's going to use that for all of us. And so um, that's coming up in just a few weeks. And then after Father's Day, which will be um, Thursday, June 23rd, so there'll be a two-week gap between the spiritual gifts and this next thing, we're having four straight weeks of for dads only. Now on that, it's here in this room, 
uh, for four straight weeks, June 23rd to July 14th, 6.30 to 7.45. You're catching the 6.30. We're letting you sleep in this summer, guys. Uh, we're giving you an extra 30 minutes, so you're welcome. And uh, it, that's going to be a, a simply show up and be part of that. Back in December, we had two straight weeks of For Dads Only, and we said we're going we're gonna to keep having these intentional converse, equipping conversations and really excited Kent Evans and Ken Eidelman are going to be leading, leading that way. And this is, if, if you are a dad at any stage of life, if your kids are in diapers or if they're out of the house, uh, we want to invite you to this. If you're like, I'm not even a dad yet, but I hope to be a dad someday, I, I'm pretty positive if you come to this, you're not going to walk away going, well, that was a waste of time. Uh, almost like a pre-heads pre up on some things to get ahead of that. But the bottom line is, guys, uh, I've got, we all need other dads. We all need other guys to encourage us as dads and also to help us help us to stay dialed in on being, uh, being intentional. I've got uh, three kids. I've got a 16-year-old, a 13-year-old, and a 9-year-old. And the awesome thing about being a dad is you always feel like you're stinking with at least one kid. Uh, and so, and that's sarcasm. That's not the awesome thing about being a dad, but it's like, man, sometimes it's like, man, it is so easy to be her dad right now. And, and then you blink two times and it's like, ah, uh, on, on another kid or same kid. And so, so the enemy loves to get us in isolation as dads. And so we're going to come together and we're going to have an intentional conversation. I hope you will be a part of that. Um, today we are talking about a king of extremes 699 too many wives from 1 Kings 11 verses 1 to 13. Our teacher is Daniel Montgomery. We've had him in here before, and so I'd like you to welcome, give him a man challenge, welcome to the stage, Daniel Montgomery. <laughs> man, love it. So Daniel, um, Talking about 699 wives, too many. How many wives do you have? Uno. Uno. You have one. Her name is Mandy, mm -hmm. and you've been married how long? 23 years. 23 years. Yeah. What is your favorite thing about Mandy? Mandy has this, uh, like, contagious joy and curiosity okay. um, that you, you pick up right away. Awesome. Yeah, doesn't take long. Well, we asked her what her favorite thing is about you, and she said, I love Daniel's wonder of our creator and his creation. He can find beauty easily, and I love the way Daniel makes me laugh. Being able to have deep joy in the day today is a gift. And then asked her how, um, how she sees Jesus' image and reflection through you, and she said, Daniel forgives quickly and loves people deeply. Um, Man, that's, that's a great thing uh, for your wife to say. Uh, how many kids do you have? Four. Four. Yeah. Sorry, I pause there. Four kids. Well, um, we asked your favorite kid, Stella, um, what her favorite thing is about you, and Stella's the only one who responded. Um, <laughs> makes her your favorite. She said, my dad is a deep thinker and feels deeply. He's thoughtful. He's always curious to learn. He understands emotions so well while also humbling himself, recognizing he can always learn more and actively seeking to be the best dad, husband, friend, mentor, boss, author, human you can be. So, man, that's awesome. Um, 
that your 17-year-old would, would quickly respond and say that about you. Tell, tell, tell us what you do currently for a living. Uh, I'm a management consultant, so I come alongside companies and help them build out their strategy and then do a lot of executive coaching and team development. Awesome. Okay. Well, we're blessed to have you today. I'm going to pray and then turn it over to Daniel. God, thank you for this man. Thank you for these guys who chose to position themselves in this mm. place um, for a specific purpose. And so, God, we thank you for being for us gathering in your name today. And we ask that um, regardless what we walked in here with, that we would walk out with a clear reminder of who you are and who you're calling us to pursue being as men. And so thank you in advance for that. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. It's, uh, it's an honor to be here. Uh, I was uh, catching up with this series last night, just kind of looking and watching some of the sermons. And... Um, it's just, a, it's just a joy to, one, when you try to explain to people, um, all these men gathered in the morning to hear God's word, to lean into relationships, this is something to thank God for um, and to savor. And it's an honor to, to press into it, uh, and it's an honor to, to get in this book and get this book in us. Amen? So let's do that today. Uh, James tells us that God's word is like a mirror. God's word is like a seed that takes root in our heart, but it's also like a mirror that reveals to us who we really are. Uh, and the difference between awareness in general and gospel-fueled, gospel-informed and transformed awareness is coming before that mirror and seeing ourselves as we truly are, but more importantly, seeing God as he really is. So we see our, our worth, we see our, our strength. Today we're going to look at what it means to be a man. We see a, a picture of that when we look in God's word, but we also see that we're a sinner. But every time that we see our sinfulness, hopefully by the grace of God, we see his greatness and we see his grace. And if you're not seeing God's greatness in correlation to your sinfulness, you're not encountering um, true conviction, because true conviction always results in seeing our sin, but seeing our Savior even more so. For every one look you take at your sin, a thousand times more you should look and be invited to look at your Savior, especially when it comes to manhood. And that's what we're going to unpack. And there's a lot of confusion in regards to what it means to be a man uh, in our culture today. There's a lot of different voices saying that men are too aggressive, too soft, too insensitive, too macho, too power mad, uh, too much like little boys, too wimpy, too violent, too sex obsessed to care, too detached, uh, too rational. And so exactly what we're supposed to be isn't really clear. And so there's pretty much always been confusion in regards to manhood. And hopefully as we get in this book, we'll get a little bit of clarity regarding what it means to be a man. Um, a lot of times people talk about, well, I wish we could just go back to the, the good old days of manhood, the, the 40s, the 50s, whatever that is, whether it's Western movies or Rambo. But pretty much the, the good old days were Genesis 1 and 2, and since then it's been a succession, for the most part, of very dark days in regards to manhood. We, we live in a culture... Of, of darkness that tells us that manhood, masculinity, especially biblical manhood, is just a social construct uh, developed by the church to reinforce patriarchy and, and keep 
the ladies down. When in reality, biblical manhood is a, a beautiful divine gift from our Father to lift both men and women up, to empower us. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at 1 Kings. I've been charged with looking at 1 Kings chapter 1 uh, or chapter 12 verses 1 through 13. And so we're going to zoom in on the fall of Solomon. And then we're going to zoom out and look at the story of what I want to call some Solomanhood. You like that? I worked hard on that. Come on, man. Give me some love, man. Solomanhood. Say that together. Solomanhood. And we're going to look at Solomanhood gifted in the scripture. We're going to look at ruin by sin. We're going to look at it restored through Christ and hopefully get really practical. I mean, what does it mean to express in our everyday lives manhood, uh, masculinity rather, that reflects who God is, what he created us to be? And so if you have your Bibles or your notes, I I'm put some notes together for you. Just turn to 1 Kings Chapter 11, I'm going to be reading from verses 1 through 13. Stand, stand for the reading of God's word. Hear the word of the Lord. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women beside Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Moabites Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of his David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He didn't follow the Lord com completely as David, his father, had done. On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did the same for all his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude, you've not kept my covenant, my decrees, which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son, yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but will give him one tribe for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I've chosen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. Your word is life. We pray, Lord, that your word would come alive in our hearts and quicken us and bring conviction and bring clarity that you would... Um, lift up the discouraged, that you would break us down where we are full of ourselves, that you would bring gospel awareness, um, awareness of who we are, true knowledge of ourselves that would result in true knowledge of you and true knowledge of you that would result in true knowledge of ourselves and one another. It's in Christ's name we pray and all God's people said.
So Solomon Hunt. Um, Solomon was the man. All right? Solomon was the man. And uh, when I got this passage, I was like, wow, this is, this is a tough passage. And it, it's a tough passage because it's a, it's a great fall. And I, I was here in the, uh, the fall, and we looked at a, another fall, the, the fall of Gideon. And, and what's interesting here is there's no understanding this fall apart from understanding the heights of his greatness. I mean, this is the um, quintessential example historically, outside the church, of masculine wisdom and strength. That's Solomon. So if, if you're looking throughout history and trying to understand what it means to be a man, people outside the church, they look at Solomon and they go, that's a man, that's a masculine man. But biblically, he's also an archetype and a quintessential picture of what it means to be a man. And so as we look at this man, we realize that all men will fail us, and there's a need for a greater Solomon. But I want us to look at the life of Solomon and look at what does it mean to be a man? You might even like, just think about it now. When you hear, what does it mean to be a man? Hey, man challenge. What does that mean? What, is, what does being a man mean? And it's important that we can define that. I mean, some of us have more sophisticated knowledge about our college bracket or ordering a cup of coffee from Starbucks than we do biblical masculinity. And, and that's not an indictment as much as it is an invitation. God wants us to think deeply about who he is and who we are and seek deep understanding. And so I'm gonna set before you what I believe are four critical aspects of manhood as they relate to Solomon in our lives. Four divine gifts of manhood. And so manhood is gifted by God and it includes four dimensions or four aspects. The first one is men are created to be pioneers. So men as pioneers, and you can fill in the blank if you want to. I gave some ability for you to fill in the blank. Men are pioneers, they go to the action. So the first thing we see in the scripture are men are, as pioneers go to the action. Male and female together are God's royalty, God's regents on earth. We're on a different level than the beast. And within this royal family God has put here on earth, the man is made first. And Paul picks this up in 1 Timothy and, and gives emphasis to the significance of men in their pioneering priority. He is the one who makes those first pioneering acts of rulership or dominion in Genesis 1 and 2. He works the ground and cares for Eden, before Eve is ever made, he categorizes the beasts and names the animals. And when Eve is presented in all her feminine glory, Adam takes the initiative and gives her the name woman. And the comments made in Genesis 2.24, it reflects this male initiative. We read, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. It picks up the, the male initiative and, and the pursuit of women, but the pursuit and the pioneering spirit in all of life. We see this in Solomon uh, in his pioneering spirit in the, the wrestling of the succession to the, to the king or the becoming the king in 1 Kings chapter 1. We see this in David, his father, charging him. We see this in the uh, 1 Kings chapter 3 when he purges the kingdom of the conspirators. I mean, one of the first acts of Solomon as king 
is to, to wipe out the conspirators who were trying to dethrone him and take down the king of God's kingdom. We see Solomon pioneering all sorts of things like land development and the temple and alliances with other kingdoms and philosophy, biblical philosophy. Solomon was a pioneer of pioneers that went to the action. So, so number one, what does it mean to be a man? It means you go to the action. Whether that action's your body, whether that action's your finances, whether that action is your, your faith or your friendships, men are called to go to the action. Now, it's challenging because sometimes that action is to back off and sometimes that action is to lead forward. And when you hear go to the action, some of you are like, yeah, man up, I need to go to the action. But sometimes it means having that crucial conversation with your spouse. Sometimes it means I'm going to be the first to be vulnerable. I'm going to be the first to get raw and real among the brothers. And it's the wisdom to discern where do I need to go? I mean, there's so many areas of our lives that need action. Amen? We all need work, right? Well, Lord, what's today? You know, how, do I, how do I order my day? And this is where we need wisdom. So men are pioneers who go to the action. And I use the words um, initiative and leadership to describe this aspect of masculinity. But when I say leadership, I'm not speaking of a manager who gives edicts and commands. Um, I'm speaking of someone that's, that's on the ground. You know, think of the general who, yes, he, he can give directives, but he also works the trenches. And that's the, the picture of being a pioneer in the scriptures. It's, it's more the idea of I'll go first, I'll take the risk, I'll make the way safe for others to take the knocks. And think of how many of the complaints in our culture are the, the crisis of men not pioneering. Every day I work with men and women in the market, marketplace where like, I, I wish men would lead. I wish they would take initiative. How many, how many times do we hear from the ladies? I, I wish he would make a decision. I wish he would take the lead. And I know, you take the lead. And she calls you out. You're like, wait, are you, I, I'm supposed to take the lead. That's welcome to manhood, men. Men are called to be pioneers and what? Go to the Action. That's right. Second aspect of manhood, our men are called to be workers. So not only do men pioneer and go to the action, but men are created to be workers or cultivators who get it done. And whether I'm, I'm speaking to a man in their 60s or 70s, which this is a desperate message for men in their 60s and 70s, I want you to hear this, men. Hear this, men. Manhood is an issue in every stage and age of our life. This isn't just a message for boys. This is a message we all need to hear. Pioneering never ends. Working never ends. And so whether we're, we're boys becoming men or in our 70s, trying to figure out this whole thing called masculinity, facing the reality of our mortality, we never arrive at manhood. Hear that, we never arrive. And that's important for this passage. Because in this passage, we see Solomon when he was a young man, 1 Kings chapter 11. No. Solomon when he was old. Solomon when he was old. The passion to be a, fa a faithful man needs to be a passion to the very end of our lives. To be faithful in every age and every stage. 
So this other aspect is the aspect of workers. Workers get it done. And this is the, the first word in chapter 2 of Genesis that gives us a clue as to what is particular to the man is work. And so God made the man, according to Genesis 2, for a purpose, to, to work and make the creation better. God creates the earth. All the creation is untamed land. But there's one part of creation that's tame. And there's trees and shrubs. And it's cultivated and it looks orderly. It's called the Garden of Eden. God puts Adam there and he tells him to fill the earth and subdue it, which basically means make the rest of the planet look like Eden. Explore, build, conquer, which is a lot of work. So God tells them to be fruitful and increase in number. Well, there's a lot of work, so you're going to have to have a, a lot of kids who have a lot of kids and bring order out of the disorder. That's what man is created for, to be a worker. Now, this means a, a few different things. First, work is a distinctive characteristic of man's masculinity. Now, am I saying that um, being a pioneer or worker or the other aspects aren't relevant for my daughters? I have two sons and two daughters. Absolutely not. And hear me. This is a mystery to me. Manhood is a mystery. And it even gets more mysterious when you put a lot of different men there's no one masculinity. There's, there's one Lord, one revelation, and then there's a lot of different masculinities in the way it's worked out in our lives. And we need to tread really carefully. I mean, one of the things I, I hope, if I'm faithful to God's word, is we'll do a, a bit of takedown of our stereotypes of manhood. You know what I mean? Like the stereo, like men, you know, hunt and fish and... Uh, that's not me. Men hunt and fish and, you know, chew tobacco and drink bourbon and, you know, like, there's all these stereotypes of manhood. And I, I see it all the time. It's that kind of machismo thing, right? Uh, the, the danger of that is men will take that, throw some verses on it, and co-opt biblical manhood and, and do more damage than good. And the reason a, a lot of people outside the church look at the church and say it's oppressive patriarchal and toxic masculinity is because of poor theology within the church. You know, poor articulation with our, with our lips and with our lives regarding what it means to be a manhood. And so evaluate yourself. What do you believe manhood is? What are you communicating to your, your sons, your daughters, your friends? I mean, here, here's, here's, here's the reality. Most of us, we have a very unhealthy masculinity that we've inherited from our fathers. Yeah. What's the traditional masculinity? The traditional masculinity is suck it up, buttercup, and men are called to be invulnerable, right? You're called to be strong and tough, you know? Learn how to take hits. You know what that makes for? A lousy husband, doesn't it? How's the invulnerable husband working for your wife. Is that working well? It's not. And where do we learn that? We learn that from a lot of traditional masculinity. And it's not, it's not saying like, oh, the generation that went before us is horrible. Not at all. They were figuring it out too, just like we're figuring out. And each generation has to recover the gospel and figure it out. But a big part of renewal and masculine movement in our day is looking to the past with integrity and building off everything that's good. You savor everything that's good, you build off that, but you break with it. 
and you pass on something better to the next generation. And until you're ready to tell the truth about your father and grandfather and the father before him, you're not ready to tell the truth about yourself. We gotta be honest. What have we inherited? I mean, I'll just tell you one thing. We all inherited a, a toxic mess from our first father. Who's our first father? Adam. Can I get an amen? You know, he screwed everything up. One man's sin and death entered the world. So the reality is we need to be honest with ourselves regarding what this work means. Now, here's what it means. If a man won't work, he shall not eat. Being a worker is a big deal in the Bible. If a man won't work, Paul tells us, he shall not eat. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, it's not saying that if a man is out of work or unable to work because of disability, but someone who will not work, who will not work hard. It's an indictment. It's a, a, a movement of, of church discipline, at least corrective. Second, this desire to work and cultivate makes men who love to create things. And third, once a guy makes something, he likes to cultivate it, develop it, and make it continue to progress. I mean, Speak to my, my boys all the time. I'm like, go to the action. The milk spills. Like, you like, oh, what do we do? It's like, men, go to the action. And then don't just like dabble, clean it up. So one of the sayings in our home is don't dabble, dominate. And dominate is an expression of biblical dominion. Don't dabble, dominate with your health. Don't dabble, dominate with your family. Now, figure out how to dominate and not step on people. Welcome to the challenge of manhood. Workers, go to the action and get it done. And you see this in the impulse. I mean, men, men love to, to make things better. You get, you get a guy and he starts a business and he's just freaking out all the time trying to make it better. Some guys, it's your computers and your gadgets and you're just always like making things better and your mantra is upgrade, upgrade, upgrade. Some men, it's, some men it's sports, some men it's fitness, some men it's hunting, whatever, it's just like constantly making it better. This is a, this is a God-given instinct. Go to the action and, and get it done. You ask why? Because they're workers, they want to build things, and once they're built, they want to make it better. Now, in addition, men are called to cultivate their wives, love, nurture, and encourage. Men are called to cultivate their children, pour love and wisdom into, into them. And if a man does not cultivate those things and have a challenge before him to, to work and to make better, he gets bored. And what happens when men get bored? They get in trouble. They get in trouble. Yeah. So what, are, what is God calling you to? What's the, what's the pioneering impulse? Where? What? When? And, and are you bringing, is it a challenge? Are you seeking mastery? Are you seeking understanding? That's what it means to be a man. The third thing man is created for is a battle. God has created men to be warriors. So men as warriors guard the truth. Say that with me, guard the truth. Guard the truth, man. We see this in Genesis 2 where God had planted goodness, truth, and beauty. Satan comes in and plants lies and deception and... Uh, Eve is deceived by the serpent, and then all of a sudden God declares war, or Satan declares war on God, man, and woman, and the man is supposed to fight, but he doesn't. It's called The Silence of Adam. A great book I'd recommend by Larry Crabb is called The Silence of Adam. He just sits there quietly and lets Satan attack his wife and dishonor the name of God. B 
biblical summary. God looks at his enemy, Satan, and says, you want war? You got it. Through this woman's offspring, I'll raise up a savior, a warrior, and he will crush you. Men are created for battle. You know, this, this, is, the, this is the clearest thing of all the dimensions. You know, you dig deep into this. I mean, I actually did a, because um, gender is a problem. Is gender a problem in the church? Like, if you don't recognize gender is a problem, it's a problem, men. Like, one of the ways you can just empathize with your ladies is just assume it's a problem. Assume it's a problem at work, you know. Just assume it's a problem. It's a big problem in the workplace. Uh, it's a problem in the church. Um, I, a number of years ago, I pulled together uh, several prominent evangelical female leaders, leaders who, like, get on the stage and, and teach. And um, I, I, I called them together for a retreat, and we asked four questions. First question was, how have you experienced gender in relationship to the church? Second question was, what's wrong? Third question was, what, what can we do better? And the fourth question was, what's next? 36-hour retreat. It's like, I think it ended up being like seven women and three dudes. A psychologist, a pastor, and some other dude. And the first four hours, it was tears and just intensity, and then it got, then it got raw. And they were like, pushing back. They were pushing back on these dimensions. Uh, you know, disagreeing with me. I was like, this is awesome. I'm arguing with my sisters, you know, like with men, you know, men can go at it. And I'm like, I just, I love the way they're pushing back and this, this theological combat and it's making me better. It's making me get in the word. And, and by the end of it, we had come up with some ideas and stuff, but it was really just to hear them. And I thought to myself, man, I would love a church with women full of this. And six months later, I did the same thing with some entrepreneurial women in our church, and it was three times better. It was amazing. It humbled me, it emboldened me, but also reminded me like, hey, that whole thing, we gotta break with the past and build towards the future. You know? and, and the next generation's gonna have to do the same thing because we're all just, we're just figuring it out. But it's, it's a battle, it's a battle. And the one thing that's really clear is men biologically we're just built for battle. We're just, we're just bigger than the ladies. And that's the clearest thing, men. I mean, that's undeniable. I mean, from a neuroscience and just brain perspective, science recognizes there's differences between men and women. Biology recognizes their differences and the scriptures have been saying it all along. You're built to defend. But I would argue you're built for battle physically, emotionally, and socially. And where are you standing in the gap? So men are called to go to the action, men are called to get it done, but men are called to be warriors and guard the truth. Guard the truth of your home. Guard the truth in your church. Guard the truth of your brotherhood. We're called to guard that truth. King Solomon, uh, he wasn't a you know, warrior in the classic sense. He definitely wasn't a warrior in the sense that his, his father, David, King David, was a warrior. And Solomon didn't see much battle. And you could argue that this was an expression of like, he got bored. There's a lot going on here. There's a, there's a lot going on. But he's, he stopped fighting. And he, he might have not been in physical battles, but there was a very real battle for the soul of Solomon. It was a satanic attack. I mean, read that passage. It's like, what the heck is, go what is going on? 
Like, people are like, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask, I'm like, I'm going to ask Solomon. Solomon, what happened? That's nuts. And it, it looks like a full-on, like, terrorist bombing. I mean, there, there were things that precipitated it, but it's like, it was, it was dark. So glorious, so beautiful, and then so dark. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women. If, if you have your Bibles, just circle verse 1 and, and put 1 Kings 3.3. 3. Just contrast that. It says he, he loved many foreign women. And his heart, he gave his heart to them. And in 1 Kings 3.3, 3, we see he loved and gave his heart to God. And that same language is being used here. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord as God. Proverbs 29.3, a man who loves wisdom brings joy to his father. I mean, that is the overall story. It's joy, but a companion of prostitutes squanders his wealth. That kind of sums up the story of Solomon, by Solomon. He brought joy, battling for truth, goodness, and beauty, and then not only squandered his wealth, but ushered in a civil war that from here on out, divides the kingdom. If a man does not know how to fight and what to fight for, he will battle, but he'll battle against the wrong things. Menesages, final dimension. So menesages, grow in wisdom. The sage is a man who is great in wisdom, and we kind of already touched on this, but men, men are built to reflect the glory of God by growing in wisdom. You know, to, to go deeper, to, to not settle for uh, a rake and leaves, but to dig deep into God's word. Some men never put aside childish thinking. Some men never grow out of sarcasm. We must teach boys, young men and men, the, the masculinity of study, learning, intellectual discussion. Again, I mean, you, you, see, it, you see it in Ecclesiastes, right? I mean, it's some deep stuff. Who was it that, that preached Ecclesiastes? It was, uh, who? Grant. Yeah, Grant. It's like, Man, get in that book. My, my daughter was like, Dad, this is nuts. Have you read this? And I'm like, yes, yeah, I've read that. In fact, when I started Sojourn, it was the first book we, we preached from for like three months. It's a good book. It's a work of deep philosophy. And, and we need to deepen our philosophy as men. Men are hungry for philosophy. They are. They're hungry for deep intellectual reflection. I mean, Think of like the reflection, and, and I'm, I'm not knocking this, I love brackets, but like there's a lot of thought that goes into sports. Now, my boys, like they have crazy recall regarding stats and all kinds of things and football, basketball, what have you. And I'm like, okay, how do I funnel that energy into deeper things? And not diminish it, I don't wanna minimize it, I wanna celebrate it and, and help them to go further up, further in. Now, what was the last hard idea you wrestled with or difficult book or books or theme. And what I want to encourage you is, is write down this. What am I curious about? What am I curious about personally and professionally? And, and personally, just what are you curious about? And come up with a list of like 20 things in each category. It could be anything. Um, I, it could be anything. And pursue those curiosities. And pray before you begin and, and pray as you end. Just offer it up to God. But, but thinking deeply is good for the mind, it's good for the body, and it's what we were built for. 
We were built to grow in wisdom. We need to put aside foolish thinking. I mean, this is Solomon. This is Solomon, the author of Ecclesiastes. This is Solomon in Song of Solomon. This is Solomon, 3,000 Proverbs. King Solomon, 1 Kings 10.23, was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. When, when the queen of Sheba traveled 1,200 miles to, to confirm, like, who is this guy? We're hearing all about this. Who is this guy? It said, Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was too hard for the king to explain to her. When the queen of Sheba saw all the wisdom of Solomon and the palace he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his officials, the attending servants in their robes, his cupbearers and the burnt offerings he made at the temple of the Lord, she was overwhelmed. So here, here comes this, this pagan queen, right, to hear about this man marked by wisdom, and she was just overwhelmed. I pray the same for you. I, I pray that you, you will become men and that you are men that when, they, when all hell is breaking loose at work, you know what I'm talking about? Like all hell breaks loose. A project goes off the rails. It's just crazy time. You're the man that steps in and brings control and brings clarity with compassion, right? If that sounds like a unicorn with rainbows, no, that's not. That's Solomon, brothers. It is. Men take control. Now, it can be exaggerated, right? But men are called to take control. And men are called to bring clarity. And men are called to do it with compassion. That takes wisdom. That takes wisdom. Let's take all hell breaking loose with a project at work. And maybe it's like, because... You know, the project leader is like a megalomaniac and you need to step in. The Bible tells us what? Answer a fool according to his folly. And what else? Don't answer a fool according to his folly. So which one is it? This is not a connect the dots, paint by numbers manual. It's a book of wisdom to give us skill to navigate the complexities of our world, the complexities of our marriage, the complexities of our children. I mean, they're simple, there's complicated, and there's complex. Simple, simple. Complicated is like engines. Some of you are like, no, they're not. They're, no, they're complicated. There's a, there's a solution, right, with engines, with mechanical things. People are always complex, always. There's, there's always an element of mystery. So it calls for wisdom to navigate. So what we see is we see that these are the, the gifts of God. Pioneer, worker, warrior, sage. But men have three temptations in relationship to these dimensions. And that is to do three things. Abuse, abandon, or avoid. What men do with each of these dimensions is either abuse, abandon, or avoid. And this is important because this is a key for calling out counterfeits. And we should be calling out counterfeits all the time in each other's life. If someone hasn't called out counterfeit masculinity in your life, uh, you need friends that do that, you know? Uh, counterfeit masculinity is a dude like opens up around your table and you make some sarcastic comment. That's counterfeit masculinity, you know? Counterfeit masculinity is whenever a guy is vulnerable, a lot of guys just can't handle it. They just can't handle it. Like they make a joke or they, and it's like, no, man, be there, be with it. You know, 
know, counterfeit masculinity is that whole like thing we do with each other. And you know, sometimes it's fun, but sometimes it's not fun, man. I mean, we gotta be discerning in the way we use that humor. You know, we really need to be discerning. And so men abuse being a pioneer. Instead of pioneering to good, they pioneer towards evil. Men, men abuse being a worker. Instead of working on good things, they work on evil things. Um, men abuse uh, fighting for truth. Men, men avoid. Men avoid their masculinity and just plug themselves into pornography. And so all your sexual energy is just like you, you stop battling and you just give yourself to porn. I was going to do this whole thing on porn, but I, I felt called to do the, the bigger picture. And then they just abandon. You know, they, they step into a marriage and they're like, oh, honey, this is too much. I'm out of here. They, they step into a, a hard project or job. Oh, now this is too hard. As soon as it gets hard, they abandon. And a lot of men are like, I want, a, I want a, a marriage that, that, that's easy and kids who always obey me and a, a church that inspires me. <laughs> it's like, that just doesn't exist out there, guys. We live in a fallen world. And, and the law of entropy states what? Things just fall apart. And so no matter what you build, everything's just falling apart, man. It's just constantly falling apart. Welcome, welcome to a fallen world. And this is part of the curse. I mean, God, God cursed the ground, which curses our work, which essentially means your work is always going to work against you. You're working on your marriage, and your marriage works against you. You're working on your kids, and your kids work against you. You finally get things humming with processes and workflow at work, and then all of a sudden, it works against you. you know, things really get moving, and all of a sudden, like, COVID happens. Right? And so your work works against you. But it's not just God's curse, it's God's grace. Because every time our work works against us, it reminds us of what we do to God. And so as a man gets more responsibility with his family, with his finances, with, with his career and calling, he has more opportunity to learn about the grace of God. You know, some people say more work, more problems, more money, more problems. I would say, no, you could flip that and say more wor work, more money, more responsibility, more grace for the man who has eyes to see. This isn't a don't do this, do that, that message. This is a Christ is the pioneer of pioneers. Christ is the worker of workers. Christ is the, the warrior who comes and battles Satan, sin, and takes down the principalities and powers of this world that keep men down so that we can rise by the power of the resurrection. Christ is wisdom from God, and Paul tells us that on the cross we give Christ our foolishness, and we get his wisdom. That's the great exchange. So right now, I have as much of God's grace as I want within me. And the Christian life is, a, is an apprehending, a deeper apprehension of who we are as men. We're his sons. Here's the thing. You have nothing to prove and everything to prove. Okay? You have nothing to prove, and you got to feel that. I have nothing to prove. I am loved by God. I am a son of God. The spirit of sonship resides in me, by which I cry out, Abba, Father. I mean, that's the qualification. Do you recognize that you're a sinner, that Christ is your Savior, and that he is sufficient? Welcome to redeemed manhood. You've arrived, but you haven't arrived. There's this tension until we're, we, we finally come home and come home to the Father. And until then, we repent daily. Repentance is just coming home to our Father 
and learning what it means to man up as men. As men, not to become men. That's key. So what I want you to do in your table times is two things. And I'm going to give you some, some guidance. Here, here are the questions I want you to ask. The, the first thing is, um, I want you to learn how to lean in to each other as brothers, maybe deeply, and maybe you're totally skilled at this. But if you're not, here's, here's a tool to help you. And ask, how are you? How are you? And uh, in your notes, at the very end, there's a manhood audit. Like, how are you as a man, right? How are you as a man? Let's get really practical. And so let's think about a man in relationship to these four dimensions, pioneer, worker, warrior, sage, and 12 dimensions of our lives. So think about it in relationship to yourself. How are you physically? Yeah? Are, you, are you getting sleep? Are, are you eating healthy? That's really important. Like when a man comes to me and he's anxious and depressed, and I'm talking like, you know, I check the vitals. The vitals are like, are you, like, how, how are you fueling? How are you sleeping? Those are vitals. The other vitals are like, are you, are you intimate with your wife if you're married? Are you making love to your wife? Are you, are you connecting with friends? Those are just kind of vitals that I would encourage everyone to always kind of just be on the lookout for. Not connecting with your wife, not connecting with your friends, not sleeping. The mind does some freaky things. Don't look at me like a bunch of sane individuals. Y'all are crazy and I know it, okay? So how are you physically? How are you emotionally? How are you intellectually? So like when we talk about pursuing knowledge and wisdom, like how, how are you doing with that? How are you spiritually? And, and what I want to encourage with spiritually is everything's spiritual because of the grace of God. And how are you doing with that? How are you doing and walking in that everyday spirituality? Not like just an hour and a half on Sunday or even an hour and a half on Thursday. How, how's your, your faith life? And then others. And others, you have marital parental. Um, I think I've shared it before. The, the standard if you're married is how's that chase going? So a chase is 10 and zero is like you're, it's, it's not good at all. Like a zero, men need to rally around you. Um, but how are you doing? How are you doing par par parental wise? Are you pouring into your kids? Are you being intentional? How are you doing with the extended family? Does extended family matter? Absolutely, man. Totally matters. It's going to be a part of that breaking and building. But building, you know, my hope and prayer is that like all of us as men would be you know, Christian patriarchs in our home with multi-generational love. But that requires you know, pouring into your extended family. How are you socially? How are you going into work, financially, work, recreation? Do you have like outlets to like not work? You know what I mean? Like do you... Do you have structure and rhythm? Kyle, Pastor Kyle's gotten at this a lot. Like, do you know how to play? Do you know how to take a day off? Can you take a day off work? Like one day. Can you take a day off technology? You know, I think that's not much, right? Just take a day off technology a week or four hours a week. What is, what is recreation? And literally means to recreate look like. And then finally, missionally. So I want you to, you can even start going through that and just rate one to 10. 10 is I'm nailing it. Um, and if your tins on all of them, you probably need to find a, a different crew that humbles you, to be honest with you, like you do. Uh, and someone who just, you know, or, or you're just not going to be tin on all of them. And on the backside, it's a little more advanced. And it might be for table time some other time, but 
what I want to encourage is to think about, like when I say mystery, some of you guys are like, mystery? There's no mystery. Um, it, there, is, there is mystery. And, and w- basically, this is a manifesto for building ma- masculine community. And on here, you have about 12 challenges men face. And I'm just going to point out a couple. The first one is unity. And men need to renounce no more division. I am the same. I will belong. We will fight for masculine unity. And so like at a table like this, it's like you look around and you guys, different backgrounds, different, you're just different, right? But you fight for that common humanity. And you say, we are gonna rally around what unites us. And what unites us is we are men in Christ. And maybe that's something that that you're struggling with. Then it goes to diversity. This is very important for biblical masculinity. No more uniformity. I am different. As a man, there are no two humans who are exactly alike, right? There are no two masculinities that are identical. And so it's allowing for those differences all the way down to vulnerability. And so what I wanna encourage you is think about that because when I've done this with, with pastors and leaders, it's just fascinating. I'll get a table like this and everyone's on different pages. Some men are like, hey, authority is my challenge. I've, I've been exaggerating my authority. Other men are like, no more passivity. Some men are like, no more ambiguity. When stuff gets complex, I get rigid, right? Things get complex and COVID, it just like ruined some of us, right? You just, you just got rigid, you know? That's called the polarization, right? That's what takes place. We just, oh, I gotta choose a side rather than wading into the complexity, right? And so what I want to encourage you is think deeply about manhood. And, and maybe this, I would suggest, would give you a taxonomy, a filter to expand what it means to be a man in community with other men. Not just the lone individual, but in community with other men. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you. We thank you for your grace. Uh, we thank you for uh, Christ, the pioneer of pioneers. Um, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Um, And one day we will be presented perfect and whole in him. Until that day, there's a civil war in our soul, Lord, and we recognize that you are in that battle. You don't just give us a high five and call us into that battle as men, but you are in that battle in us, with us, and for us. And so we ask that you would send your, your helper to lead and to guide us into that truth. We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said. Thanks for listening to this week's Bible teaching from Man Challenge at the Blankenbaker campus of Southeast Christian Church. For more information on how to get involved, reach out to us via the email address in our podcast description or find us on social media.